mentioned quite a few times in the rest of Scripture. Uh, I think about 70 or 80 times just in the New Testament. So Abraham is a key individual in our salvation. He was a man of faith, and he's used as an example of of salvation by faith uh, in a number of places in the Bible. In the passage before us, there are a lot of names. I don't know if it's my imagination, but every time there are a lot of names, Dan has somebody else preach. Maybe that's by design. And we all butcher these names as best we can um, because we're never sure exactly where the syllables should fall and we don't know if vowels are long or soft or whatever. So we just, we do the best I can, we can. But remember that these are real people. And just as we talk about our children and grandchildren, so these people are mentioned as, as real people who were the sons of and grandsons of, of Abraham and then of, of Ishmael. Let me begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 25, and I read down through verse 18. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ixphach, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashuram, Leushim, and Leuman. The sons of Midian were Ephah and Ephur, Hanak, Abida, and Eldaah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac, but to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Bir Lahoroi. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Adbiel, Midsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Zatur, Nephish, and Kadima. These are the sons of Ishmael, and, they, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments. Twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt, in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. Let's pray. Lord, as we come this morning, we do ask for your direction and guidance as we consider this passage. And just pray that as we reflect upon, especially Abraham's death, that we might learn some significant spiritual lessons for our own life. In Christ's name, amen. A few weeks ago, Pastor Dan said to 
some old people that you were going to die. Now, I consider myself an older person, at least in this congregation. And I reflected upon that. And I was, you know, are there any loopholes that you know, we can look at or anything? And, and unfortunately, Hades right. We are going to die. And just a few days ago with that uh, conference down in Chicago, I saw a name on the list of those who were coming, a fellow named Stephen Lutz. And I said, I wonder if that's the same Stephen Lutz I knew when I was teaching school in South Carolina. And it turns out that it was, and we chatted for a few minutes. Now, when I knew Stephen Lutz, the last time I saw him was about 1975. He was 15 years old. He's not 15 anymore. <laughs> He's in his 50s. And I was thinking about that, and I said, that was, what, 37 years ago? Where did all that time go? How could it have just vanished so quickly? And 37 years from now, I would be over 100 years old. I probably won't be here. And as you do get older, you start to think more about time and things like that. At least I do. And, you know, you say if I have 25 years left of life, you know, what do I hope to accomplish and all of that? And as I was thinking this morning, as I was driving up, you know, here's a beautiful sunny day. It's going to be kind of warm. I'm going to be talking about death. Not probably anybody's favorite topic. And in addition to that, a number of you have had relatives pass away over the last number of months. But death is a reality. And we have to deal with it. We have to understand it as best we can. And realize that it's an enemy, but it's an enemy of which we as believers are going to be victorious. Verse 8 is the text for this morning, and it tells us that Abraham died, or he breathed his last. He died in a good old age, full of years, and was gathered to his people. And then a little bit later we're told that Isaac and Ishmael came together to bury their father in the grave or graveyard where their mother or where Sarah was born, Isaac's mother. Now, if you've been involved in funerals, you probably have seen things which were embarrassing. You've seen things which should not be in terms of how people behave because when death comes into a family, for some reason... Everybody's nerves get very raw. Tension and turmoil in families kind of comes to the surface. And sometimes it boils over in very unpleasant ways. When I was in seminary, I worked in a funeral home for four years. So I actually have seen quite a bit of death. And one funeral remains in my mind as something rather significant. An elderly gentleman had died. He had six children. One of my responsibilities was to carry flowers into the parlor and arrange them around the room. And I was, as I was carrying flowers in this evening and was placing them, one of the daughters came up to me and said, how come so-and-so's flowers are closer to Papa's casket than, than mine? 
And I said, well, I, I didn't realize those were your flowers. There was nothing on the card to indicate you were a relative. I'll move them. And I started to move them. And then somebody says, hey, what you, why are you moving my flower? Now, there were about 30 to 40 people who were in this room when these six got into a, a, a knockdown, drag-out argument. And my flower should be closer to Papa's head because I was his favorite. Well, Papa loved me more than he did you. He thought you were a tramp. You know, you were no good. You never could hold a job. You know, just, and this went on for a couple of minutes and everybody who was there just kind of moved to the different ends of the rooms. And I, I said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get a cup of coffee. I'll be back in 10 or 15 minutes. And just tell me how you want these flowers and I'll arrange them. And I came back and the oldest son came up to me. He had a list. This is how I want the flowers. And I arranged them and everybody was okay. Well, you have probably experienced those kinds of things, or maybe you've seen those kinds of things. And we know there was some tension between Isaac and Ishmael. But at this point in time, it appears that those had been set aside and they took care of the business of burying their father. The text tells us Abraham dies. He breathed his last. And the word which is used there is a word which means he took in his last breath. He took in his last breath. The day came when Abraham's life ended. He sucked in his last breath and that was it. He expired. Another word which is used is a word which is the general word for someone dying. He took his last breath, he died, and then we're told he was gathered to his people. Now, what does that mean? That's sort of an interesting expression, gathered to his people. It's an expression that was used by the Jews, and it basically meant the person was gathered to his dead ancestors. But sometimes people can use an expression it has much more significance than they realize, as we'll get to in just a minute. Now, Abraham was a believer, and he died. And as I mentioned before, he's mentioned quite a few times through the remainder of Scripture as an example of someone who was saved by faith. Now, this brings us to what's going to be kind of a lengthy application. Here's Abraham who sometimes he referred to as the father of the faithful, who dies. But what about us? Our salvation is also by faith. We trust the same God as Abraham did. We may know more about God's plan of salvation because of where we live and all this transpired between his time and us. But the point is we also are going to die. Now, that's not a pleasant thought. At least it's not for me. I don't, I don't want to die. I want to live a long time. And I don't know how long I will live, nor do you. But we know the day will come when we suck in our last breath. And we have no idea of how that's going to happen. Whether we're going to die very quickly in an accident or linger and suffer a long time because of some illness, we don't know. But we know the day will come when we take that last breath 
and our life on earth will be done. I have had people literally tell me they know they should trust Christ. They know that they're going to die one day. But they're just going to wait till the kind of end of their life and then trust Christ and then they'll be okay. They'll be saved. And I guess that's okay if you can do that. But I've been in situations where I was almost killed and I didn't have time to think. I mentioned that uh, I taught in South Carolina. I can remember a day, a day not unlike this. It was a sunny, warm day. It was in March. This is April, but it was in March. It was just before our spring break, the last Friday before spring break. And there was an all-school picnic. We had a softball game at the very end of the day. And then we headed home. And because of where I lived in Greenville, South Carolina, I carpooled with two other teachers. I was driving that day. We were heading home. Everybody, the other two passengers were really, we're all happy. You know, school's going to be out for a week. We're going to be free from these kids. And, and, uh, they were talking about what they were going to do, and we were just looking forward to it. Then all of a sudden, a car that was coming at me veered into my lane and crashed to the side of my car. The driver fell asleep. I was knocked unconscious, had some broken ribs. The car spun off the road about 150 feet. When I came to, the teacher in the passenger seat was shaken up quite a bit but was okay. But the teacher who was sitting behind me in the rear seat was killed. Pronounced dead at the scene. Name was Linda. Somebody asked me from the church, well, did you pray before the impact? I said, no, I didn't pray. You know, we're driving along, talking, and all of a sudden, just in an instant, this car just came over and crashed into us. If my salvation had depended upon my praying at that moment, I would have been been gone. Same with Linda. So because we are going to die, and we never know the circumstances, we need to make sure that we take care of things ahead of time. And believe me, there are a lot of reasons to trust Christ now and not try to wait and and scam the system at the very end. Don't, don't do that. But you're going to take your last breath at some point in time. You're going to die. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. We know there are some individuals or some religions that teach that when we die, our soul is is sent back into another person and that person has a chance to live a better life and kind of advance up this scale to some place. But the Bible doesn't have any of that. It says you have one life and after this life you face a time of judgment. And what you believe in this life is going to determine where you will spend all of eternity. You, you don't come back, your soul isn't recycled into somebody else or anything like that. It's just, you got one shot here. And so what you believe now will determine eternity for you. And then the time's going to come, when we die, that we also will be gathered to our people. And so a very valid question is, well, who are our people About four years ago, my father died. 
he wanted to be buried in a family cemetery. And my sister made the arrangements, had the gravesite opened, and when we gathered there at the gravesite before the burial, the committal service, some of us were looking around at the headstones, and some of the some of the dates go back to the 1800s. It was an old an old cemetery, cemetery excuse me. And I was looking at the names like Ackers and Carlton and Wrights, and I said, you know, these are my family members, but I don't know these people at all. It just seems strange to think this is my family. I don't know them. I might have something in common with some, maybe not others, but I don't know. I just do not know them. But the Bible tells us that we have a spiritual family that we belong to. So when we are gathered to our people, I suppose in a sense we are gathered to our dead ancestors in death. We join them in that. But whoever is our spiritual family in life, we are gathered to them in death. And there are two spiritual families. The first is Satan's family. Satan has a family. In fact, when we come into this world, we belong to his family. Jesus said to unbelieving Jews in John 8, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Satan has a family. But there's something interesting about his family. If you were to look at a family portrait of the the devil's family, you would find that people disappear out of that picture. And we are told that they are taken someplace else. The evil one loses family members to Christ's family. And those who belong to the devil believe his lies. They like the things he represents. And if they die in unbelief, they'll spend eternity with with Satan. We have this image that Satan kind of runs hell. He doesn't. But he will suffer there as unbelievers will as God's wrath is poured out upon them. But there's another family, and that's God's family. In Romans, we're told that for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We're told in Ephesians, in love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. We're also told in Ephesians, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Those who are part of Christ's family or God's family are taken from Satan's family and brought into another family where they are adopted as God's children. In Colossians we read, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. The King James renders that translated. I always think like Star Trek where somebody's on earth and they're translated up to the enterprise. Well, it's sort of the same thing. We're in one place, and then bang, all of a sudden, we're somewhere else. 
In the book of Micah, and you're probably familiar with Micah 5, too. We trot that out at Christmas time. We're told that uh, Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem of Ephraim and so forth. But there are other passages in Micah that speak of the Messiah. And one in Micah 2 is kind of interesting. It says, one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. Micah 2.13. The breaker is coming. Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And for a long time I had in my, in my mind the image that the church was in this wall city and, and Satan was attacking it and kind of like gates coming to attack the city, which didn't make much sense. And I realized one day, no, it's, it's the reverse. Satan is in the wall city with his family and we are the ones, and Christ is the one who's on the attack, breaking down the gate, breaking through the walls, snatching people out of Satan's kingdom into his kingdom. So the breaker is coming. You know, there's a prison here in Green Bay across the river. You think if you had a truckload of sledgehammers and shovels and bolt cutters and files, you could just run over there and say, hey, you know, there's some extra stuff. You guys going to use this? You know, we'll put it in the exercise yard. No, they'd say, no, 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 no. They're not going to give these prisoners that kind of stuff. But that's what Christ does for us. He, he breaks into Satan's kingdom and steals members of his family. Steal might not be the best word, but he takes them. Now you might say, well, wait a minute, what's going to keep Satan from making an attack and taking us back? And while he might want to do that, he's not able to do that because we are told in Romans, Apostle says, for I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And God's love for us is very remarkable. He comes to us while we were his enemies, while we were without hope, while we delighted in our sin and rebellion, and he died for us. And he takes us to himself and he adopts us into his family. And once we are in his family, we are in that spiritual family for all of eternity. The time comes you draw your last breath and die. You will be gathered to your people. And those who are your spiritual family in this life are the same ones who are your spiritual family in the life to come. As you trust Christ for salvation, as you understand what he's done for you, as he died in your place, taking God's punishment himself, as you trust that, you become part of his family. And you're part of his family now and forever. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you, we... We recognize that we do deal with things which are very serious in nature as they pertain to our salvation. Father, we, we do desire to live as your children. 
Thanking you continually for all the things that you have done for us. Thanking you that you did not leave us imprisoned, sick and lame, without hope, but that you have come and provided salvation and hope and healing. You have adopted us. Help us to live as your children in this age and to glorify you forever in the age to come. In Christ, amen.